With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello again, everybody. It is time for the Mainland Podcast. Once again, this is episode 249. I am Michael Citro. I am the founder and managing editor of TheMainland.com, the SB Nation website covering Orlando City, the Orlando Pride, all things soccer-related in the city. Beautiful. And as always, I am joined by Dave Rowe up in Tallahassee. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. Uh, after a weekend like that, uh, even though you know, we had to stay up late uh, for one of those matches, it was... An unbelievable amount of fun that that Sunday. So uh, yeah, no, I, I'm good. Yeah, I'm not sure I've fully recovered uh, bodily from <laughs> being up so late on a on a school night, <laughs> as it were. Right. Um, that was a late night, but it was it was one of those things where I was just like, I'm too amped up to sleep. I'm going to watch like every second of this post game show that just kept going on and on and on. And exactly. you know, honestly, the more Clint Dempsey post game the better as far as i'm concerned i'm there for all of the clint dempsey uh weird jacket sunglasses uh watching guys jump off of you know over railings all of it every uh, that should be every match uh not just for the u.s men's national team but every match yeah sounds good all right let's start our show talking about orlando's lone remaining undefeated team the Orlando Pride. The Pride had a big game. The game, uh, they entered the weekend in first place. Their opponents, uh, the Washington Spirit, entered the weekend in second place, and this was in Washington, and it was going to be a difficult task uh, regardless, and then it became a more difficult task when we found out that uh, Sidney LaRue picked up a thigh injury and was not uh, in the lineup. So uh, she's been potentially the team's MVP to this point. Obviously, uh, Morgan has four goals and an assist, but uh, Sydney's got a couple of goals and has been doing a lot of the dirty work on both ends of the pitch uh, that doesn't show up in the box uh, box score. So, um, you know, you could definitely make a case that Sid has been the, the team's best player to this point in the season. Um, the good news about the Pride is that uh, where usually you can easily just point at Marta and say there's the best player on the Pride. This year, it could be any one, any one of several players. I mean, Ashlyn Harris has been fantastic. Phoebe McLernan is off to a great start. Allie Riley has brought something to this team that's been missing. Um, Gunny John's daughter has been great. Um, and, of course, Morgan and LaRue. Uh, and, and Marta's starting to show signs of, of rounding into her form. This is a much different Orlando Pride team than we've seen every year except 2017. Yeah, you're getting a lot more contributions across the board. You know, you, you mentioned Yon Star, but I mean, also, you know, Maggie Dowdy Howard when she's in, um, uh, even um, uh, 
Oh, Keller Korniak, of course, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, she's, she's been fantastic and just, uh, her, her very physical presence, uh, brings a new dynamic, uh, for the pride that they haven't had in the past. You know, we've often talked about, they weren't a very physical team. Well, that's, that seems to be changing, which is great. Yeah. This was a, a rough game for the pride. They, uh, the spirit came out very, uh, high pressing, very high up tempo, uh, the pride looked a little sluggish, a little maybe lacking a little energy. It was a very hot day. It was an afternoon game, um, and with the travel and everything, they did look a step slower than they normally do. They weren't doing a good job of of possessing the ball and moving the ball well. There were there were some turnovers. There were some issues, um, you know, with maintaining control. And I know that the team has been. Uh, a very direct team this year and, 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 a, and a counter-attacking team this year, but I'm sure Mark Skinner would have liked to have seen a little bit more consistency in in moving the ball calmly and and, and confidently and maintaining uh, possession and not giving the ball away and, and creating issues for Ashlyn Harris and goal. Um, the first half was, was pretty tame. Um, Orlando didn't do a whole lot. They, there was a good opportunity for Alex Morgan in the game where she stole the ball and came in um, up the left side of the box on her favorite foot, but she just uh, shot the ball too close to the goalkeeper, former Pride goalkeeper, Aubrey Bledsoe. Yeah, that's one of the uh, the unfortunate things. Of course, when Bledsoe was with the Pride, we often mentioned that she was good enough to be a starter someplace else, and lo and behold, here she is at the Spirit of uh, as a starter, not only that, but I would still say one of the better keepers in the league. So it's tough when you go up against somebody who you have a ton of respect for, but it's also keeping you from scoring. It's almost like some of the things we say on this show are actually true. Almost. <laughs> almost. So it, it looked like Washington was at some point going to score. Uh, it did not look that much like the pride were going to score in this game, but um you know, the thing happens that always happens. Ashley, Ashley Hatch likes to score against the pride and she uh, got to an aerial ball first and uh, headed it in to make it one, nothing. That was a ball. I think that maybe a more aggressive goalkeeper may win that race to the ball. I thought Harris, maybe if she starts a, a split second earlier, can come out and get that and claim it, but um, not being too harsh on her because a lot of goalkeepers would have done what she did in that situation. That wasn't like uh, a definite, but you know, certainly a more aggressive goalkeeper. Um, and we've seen what can happen with more aggressive goalkeepers. Sometimes that doesn't work out so well, but uh, you know, I, I, again, I'm not putting the goal on her. Uh, certainly you can't leave Ashley Hatch uh, flying through your box uh, with no, uh, no body on her. No, you can't. And of course, Ashlyn didn't make that save, but she made plenty, plenty of others in the match, including at least two that should be considered for save of the week. So it's tough when that happens, but that's a part of soccer. Sometimes you give up goals and it's what you do when you, uh, when you give them up, uh, what you do after that, that matters. Yeah. The one save that came, I think off a set piece wasn't moving all that fast, but it didn't look like, Harris picked it up until it was like on its way and she had to make a dive to her right and got it just before it could get to the, uh, to the goal line. That was a great save. Um, you know, sometimes the best saves 
are are not the hardest looking saves at first, but I mean, if if the goalkeeper doesn't see the ball at first, it's it's awfully difficult to stop what you don't see. So uh, she did a good job of picking it up mid-flight and and still getting over and making a, a save in a a difficult area because it was at, at just inside the post that where that ball was heading. So uh, a couple big saves from Ashlyn. And uh, the great thing is that after Hatch scores, uh, you know, usually what happens is Orlando Pride score like a couple minutes later. <laughs> and yeah. this time Bledsoe was kind of the culprit playing out of the back after a, a missed shot by, I think it was Courtney Peterson who failed to get a, she had a pretty decent opportunity and, and hit it over the net. Uh, so it was a goal kick, but uh, kind of a, a low key uh, uncredited assist since uh, that led to the goal kick. Uh, and then uh, of course, Marta did Marta things and got the ball away and uh, gave it to Korniak and Korniak basically took one quick dribble and smashed it in uh, side the front, uh, the far post for her first regular season at NWSL goal and made it one, one. And so they pulled that goal right back on a, on a day that they just weren't generating a lot of offense. No, they weren't. And you're right when you say smash. Uh, Korniak has got a cannon of a leg when she unleashes. And I'm looking forward to more of that as the season goes on. It's, she has the potential to be a major factor uh, for the pride in the offense. It'll just depend on getting her involved like Marta did on that one. And if they're able to do that, that frees up. If if she's seen as that threat, that frees up Morgan, that frees up LaRue, that frees up, you know, so many other options and it makes them a more dangerous team overall. Yeah, she ended up with a, a team high five shot attempts in the game. Uh, one of those probably should have been a pass to Chelsea Washington on a, on a, like a semi break opportunity. And, and Chelsea was a little upset but not getting that pass but uh you know Korniak says she's going to look for goals she's going to look for to try to score more uh, to add that into her into her game because that's not been there since uh you know since the first game of the challenge cup so it's it's hard to fault her because she's probably getting feedback from the coach hey you can score goals go go look for a goal go find a goal and and you know players are going to listen to that it's like oh I have green light to go shoot so uh you know well, if she if she keeps getting five if she gets five shots a game, she's going to score plenty of goals. Yeah, and I think Morgan is telling her the same, uh, you know, taking yeah. her aside and going, look, it, it takes a striker like Morgan to be like, yeah, turn and go for goal, turn and go for goal. And if you got somebody young like Korniak that's going to listen to a veteran like that, hey, we'll take what we can get. Yeah, and then if Alex stays on side, she can uh, clean up any rebounds. Easy tap that's for right. her. Tappy, so. tappy. <laughs> tappy, tappy. Uh, so that's how it ended, Dave. There was uh, there was no winner. It was a draw. And in, in this instance, you know, you're on the road against a good team and you've got no Sidney LaRue. I, I think that's a solid road point for the team and they maintain their spot at the top of the table. Um, barely, but they're still there. And, uh, you know, every every day that this team can stay at the top or at least very close to the top of the table is a step closer to the playoffs. And really, that's that's got to be your goal this year. It's got to be the goal is to get to the postseason. And with six teams getting in, this team, after the start they've had, they have a great shot at making the playoffs. Absolutely. I was thrilled to get a point on the road against, like you said, a very good team. 
It was number one versus number two at their place. I'll take a road point every weekend on a game like that. Yeah, especially the way that the the game unfolded and 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 you know Washington being at home came out with a ton of energy. Uh, they really wanted to get that win, and um, you know Orlando fought them off, and and it was it's hard to combat a team that comes out that strong out of the gate. It, it just kind of puts you on your back foot right away. But it was good to see the team kind of weather the storm, and even falling behind, they they didn't panic. They knew that they could get back in the game. So five games in now, the Pride have three victories, two draws, both against Washington, and so basically what we're saying is if they don't play Washington. Uh, they win. Yeah, the, uh, and we're just basing that off of facts for the yeah, moment. So, that tracks. Yeah. That tracks. Every yeah. every time they have not played Washington and have played a different team in the regular season, they have won the game. And it would be great if that just continues going forward. Yeah, because there's only one more game against the Spirit all season long. <laughs> <laughs> and if that one's a draw. Yeah, then I think you end the season undefeated, and that's it's probably good. When I've done the research on the soccer things, uh, undefeated is good. Yes, that's what it came back as. So that would what that would be is a record of twenty one zero and three. That would only be though, Dave. Uh, what sixty six points? <laughs> so disappointing. No, would that, of course not. Would that be enough to get them in the playoffs? You think? I. Checking the math uh, that you did, I would agree that that would be enough to get them. Well, you better check my math again because that's wrong. It's actually, what, 48, 68, 72, 75 points. It's 24 games. I don't know why I was saying 21. But, yeah, 75 points. I got them into it, not whether the math was correct. Okay, yeah. All right. 75 is is higher than 66. Is that enough to get in the playoffs? That's even better than the one that I said was already good enough. So, yes. Okay, okay, good. So, we've... We've got that uh, figured out. If the Pride, you've heard it here, and we're going to stand by this prediction. If the Pride ends the season with 75 points, um, we're we're saying that the team makes the playoffs. Yes. Uh, 75 points makes the playoffs. I know it's sometimes we go out on a limb here on the podcast, but uh, this one I feel pretty solid about. Yeah, you know what? I actually shouldn't have double-checked my math because I was right the first time. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. So here's here's what it is. It's this is there. Why we're right. Yeah, that's right. This is why I'm not a math teacher. Uh, so yeah, it would be in 24 games. They would be 21, 0 and three. Right. Yes. <laughs> okay. So yeah, 66 points is is what that points. that would be. Yeah, I don't know, but you know what? It's it's too late for them to end with you know the maximum points, which the maximum points, Dave. Is uh, is seventy two points, so they could not get to seventy five points. So I feel pretty good saying if they had seventy five points, they would not only make the playoffs but win the shield. Yeah, I think that those extra points uh, came from three point shots. I'm not sure, but it, it's somehow we can make it add up. I think the uh, problem is that we shouldn't be doing math in our heads. Well, no, especially as, as tired as we are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm mentally beat. So, uh, yeah, 
I shouldn't try to do math most of the time, but when I'm mentally tired, I should definitely not try to do math. I do feel we should mention that uh, on a bit of a downer note, and hopefully not too big of a downer note, uh, Alex Morgan did take a couple shots there at the end of that match and seems to be holding her midsection. Uh, so at least we know it's not lower body injury, if it's anything. Yeah, it's upper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's above the waist, but she did finish out the game, so that, that gives you reason to be optimistic about that. And, yeah. um, you know, provided that when she goes away for uh, this international duty coming up uh, this week, in fact, um, that she doesn't take any additional uh, damage. And, uh, you know, NWSL teams, stop hurting Alex. Yeah, you're just hurting the, the national team by doing that. I understand that some of them are not U.S. players, but still. Yeah. You know, play fair. Stop cheating. Fouling That's is right. cheating. <laughs> All right. Well, so <laughs> so the Pride in first place, 3-0-2, 11 points, two points ahead of the Portland Thorns, who the Pride have beaten this year, incidentally. Yeah. Um, and uh, Washington is behind them with eight points. And then Gotham in fourth with seven, uh, winning the tiebreaker over uh, the Houston Dash, also with seven. Chicago Red Stars also with seven. Dave, the North Carolina Courage, maybe they're bad? They have four points after four games, and they're in seventh place. What is happening in the world? The Pride are in first, and the Courage are sitting on four points. I'm... I'm very confused. I'm happy, but confused. Yeah, then you get the Rain also with four. OL Rain with four. They are, um, that's a team I expected to be better, but they have some new players, some new faces. They might get better as the season goes on. Uh, Racing Louisville also with four points. And then Kansas City, uh, two points. No wins yet uh, for Kansas City. That hurts, but. What you going to do? I guess that you just sit home and eat barbecue. That's true. It, uh, you know, you're the home of Ted Lasso and you have barbecue, so your life is not that bad. Yeah. All right. Let us turn our attention away from the, uh, as much as it hurts to turn our attention away from the first place Orlando Pride. We have other things that we do want to talk about before we get to our guest. And one of those things, Dave, uh, is that the Lions are off until June 19th. Air quotes at Toronto, which is probably going to be at home uh, at Exploria Stadium. Yes, quote. (laughs) And the Pride are off until June 20th uh, when they will take on Gotham at home, also at Exploria Stadium. So home and away is Exploria Stadium. Well... We have mentioned that all matches should be at Exploria Stadium, so this is just the first step on the road towards that happening. <laughs> Indeed. Let us talk about a couple of matches that did not take place at Exploria Stadium. Uh, we, could just kinda, we could just kind of gloss over the first one because it's really the second one that was the, the biggie. Um, but the first game was the Honduras game on the 3rd, June 3rd. That was uh, the day after our last show dropped. And that was the United States and Honduras in the Nations League semifinal. 
and it was a, a frustrating game. the The U.S. did not the U.S. midfield specifically did not play well in that game, and Honduras had way too much space, way too much of the ball, way too many opportunities, but they did nothing with those opportunities. And at the end of the game, uh, you know, the U.S. found a way to win a a, a a very CONCACAFI game, but not as CONCACAFI as the game they would play the next no. game. Um, but uh, Jordan Sabachu uh, with a great uh, header uh, for his first first national team goal, I believe. And that was in the 89th minute. Not a bad time to get your first. Uh, a fantastic ball from, from John Brooks producing a, a fantastic header across the front by Weston McKinney. And then really... Um, Sibachu's uh, goal was just an easy put in. It was just easy to just get my head on it and don't hit it right at the keeper and it's going in. Yeah, the end of a slog of a game that was not very interesting to watch. Like you said, a bit frustrating, but ultimately all that mattered was that last goal in the 89th minute to send the United States through. Indeed. And then we went from a game that was not fun to watch at all to a game that was exceedingly fun to watch, uh, but sometimes for the wrong reasons. It was just an extremely eventful game with the U.S. taking on Mexico for a trophy Sunday night, late Sunday night. That was a uh, I I listened to the to the U.S. website and it said nine o'clock start. And I was like, all right, whatever. And it really was like after nine thirty when it started, so we're already Correct. we're already knowing this is going to be a late night. <laughs> and then we thought, I thought maybe maybe it's not going to be a late night because Mark McKenzie decided to pass the ball to the other team in his own box in the first minute of the game, and uh, Mexico scored and it was one nil early, and it was like, welp. Yeah, that was disappointing to say the least and you're thinking exactly right welp i guess we're gonna watch this happen again yeah uh then uh as as fate would have it mexico thought they took the dreaded dos acero lead with a header off of a i believe that was off of a set piece where it was taken short and there was no defending uh but it turned out that the player was offside. So he scored. They put it on the board. Everybody like screamed and jumped up and down on Mexico. And then they went to the review and saw that, yeah, indeed, he was offside. And so uh, we forgive Kellen Acosta for leaving him alone, but we admonish him and say, don't do that again. Correct. We do those things. And I believe I'm right in saying that this is the first time VAR has been used uh, by CONCACAF in a, in a tournament. Is that right? You may be correct in that. So, because I think I thought I remembered somebody making a point about that, and you and I have feelings about VAR and video review, but on this night, I was generally okay with it. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think I think the decisions were fine. It was. Um with one exception we'll talk about later. But I think that this was a case where here's what I don't want. I don't want 
long reviews to determine whether or not something was obvious. If if you can't tell on the first watch or the you know every angle one watch of every angle you have, if you can't tell, then it should stand and then you move on and and that way you don't have these long delays, um, which I think is something that uh, Clint Dempsey brought in uh, or brought up after the the game. But uh, you know you don't even know whether you should celebrate when you score a goal kind of thing. Um, but I also think if something's critical. I do like that the ref goes over and takes a look at the monitor and doesn't just rely on somebody up in the up in the booth looking at tape because they made the they made the decision in the moment and they have to go and check did, did I make the right move and I I know there's a my problem with VAR to start with was that I thought video review would be problematic because I don't think refs generally like to admit that they make mistakes and yeah. but I I have seen that when the ref himself looks at the at the replay, I think they make the right decision more often than when it's just the guy in the booth making that decision. Oh, without a doubt. Because the guy in the booth wasn't on the pitch. He didn't see it from that angle that the ref had. And that's that's another critical angle that you just can't get from the television cameras. So, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so... Uh, the cool thing was that the U.S. were, the, you know, the, the Nats went and they they tied the thing up before the uh, the half. It was a uh, was a set piece, and Weston McKinney hammered it off of the post, and it fell perfectly for Gio Reyna. He swept it home, and it was one one, and things seemed a lot nicer at halftime at one one than they than they had seemed when we all thought it was two nothing. Yeah, and that was a pretty close and obviously big swing because it wasn't long after that uh, VAR review of the second goal that wasn't that they went down and and got U.S.'s first goal. So, I mean, I want to say it was within just a couple minutes. So that was a pretty big swing uh, for momentum, which, like you say, going into half makes a big difference in – the mentality of the Yanks and what Burhalter is going to do and or say to them. And the reason it was such a huge goal, I mean, obviously being level is always making it a, a, a huge goal, but they didn't play well at all in the first half. And there were a lot of mistakes in that half. Um, Mark McKenzie made a lot of them and I don't want to hammer him too badly with it, but uh, you know, he had a, a bit of a nightmare of a game Um so I felt bad for him. It's you. Know, you, always, you ever notice when you watch a game, somebody makes a mistake, you kind of you feel bad for them. If they make another mistake, you get mad at them. It's like now you're <laughs> mad, right? Like the first one, you're like, oh, you know, that sucks that it happened to you. You don't normally do that. I'm sorry that happened. I feel bad for you. Second time, you're like, I want this person off my pitch. Get him off my field. Drag him off with the hook, you know? Um, you get mad at them. And then by the end of this game, I felt bad again. I had circled all the way back to feeling bad for Mark McKenzie. <laughs> well, and after that first mistake that resulted in the goal, is that you, if you go back and look, you can see Zach Steffen is over there talking to him going, don't worry about it. Pick your head up. Get back into it. Be a goldfish. Come on, let's go. Which, mm-hmm. okay, that's good. That's what you know somebody like he, he him is supposed to do. So, I, unfortunately, like you say, it didn't necessarily work, but it's still good to see. Yeah, he had he just had a little bit of trouble with 
just being a, a just a tad slow with his feet. So by the, you would see that he was trying to do the right thing, but when by the time his feet did that right thing, the space that he thought he had was gone, and and so there were several turnovers that way. And so yeah, I, I got I I got mad at him, and then I went all the way back at the end of the game, um, at the penalty. We'll talk more about. Uh, I got I got all the way back to man, I feel bad for this guy, but. Um, so one one at the at the break in a in a game that they hadn't played well in, um, you know, we had a, a you know Berhalter hadn't uh, took some heat online for the the lineup that he chose. It was uh, you know, but it, it was understandable. He didn't want to have uh, Sergio Dest like defending one v one on the outside. So he went with three men at the back with wing backs. So ostensibly you're defending with five. You're moving forward forward. You have a three man back line. Kind of like what we've seen Orlando City do a few times. And I can't fault the logic there because Dest hasn't been a good defender out on the edge 1v1. And Mexico has some very dynamic attacking players out on the wings. So this way you take away some of his defensive responsibilities. And, you know, you put John Brooks, your strongest defender, is in the middle. And you try to make do with that. The problem with it was that it wasn't working in practice because Dest wasn't tracking back as much. And he was using every bit of that freedom that Berhalter was trying to give him, plus additional freedom that he didn't have. And he was trapping Tim Ream. And now you've got Tim Ream trying to to be the defender out on the edge uh, 1v1 with quicker, uh, more dynamic players. And that that doesn't work either. No, it didn't. It worked as well as it did on the other side and which is to say not at all. So, and I, I like Tim Ream, but yeah, he, uh, just once again, a bit slow, a little bit behind the attack and that creates opportunities for Mexico. Yeah. So I like the theorizing behind it. It just didn't work in practice. Uh, so the second half came and uh, the there really wasn't much change in the defense, but it looked like the midfield was doing uh, some things differently. They were, they were moving Pulisic inside where he's much better. And I wish they would just leave him in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like the fact that McKenney was playing deeper in this game. I wasn't sure about Acosta. I was really not sure that, that Kellen Acosta would, would hold up in helping to shield that back line, but I thought he was mostly fine in this game. He wasn't great, but he was mostly fine. Um, you know, you would have ideally liked to have a fully 90 minute match fit Tyler Adams, uh, in the game, but, uh, you know, Tyler hadn't played in six weeks. So, you know, you're just waiting to see, maybe we can get to the end of the game and then put him in, um, which is what happened, but it was totally not the way we thought it would happen. Um, and so we we're starting to get deeper into the game and the teams are starting to get a little tense. But the U.S. is still looking a little bit more dangerous and more dangerous, having some more opportunities. Just can't quite find that final that final touch that they need. Uh, they're having some opportunities on set pieces. They're coming real close, uh, but not quite. I mean, uh, not quite getting there. Uh, Memo Ochoa made a really great save on one of those uh, Weston McKinney uh, attempts, and then Mexico puts in. Uh, I can't remember his name. Is it Linus? Linus. Linus. Yeah. He comes in and he was like a water bug and no one could stay with him. Yeah. And he scores like what a minute or two after coming on the pitch. It wasn't long. That's yeah. for sure. And 
Yeah. Makes it 2-1, and we're back to, well. <laughs> well, not only that, but I'm looking at how easily he did that, and like you said, how quick he was in comparison to the defense, and I'm thinking we're not going to be able to stop him. I'm not sure he's not going to score another goal or two. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He he was definitely their most dangerous player, um, but it we'd have to wait long for the equalizer because uh, no. another set piece – and this time, Weston McKinney is not denied. He gets his goal in the set piece, and it's 2-2, and we're we're right up on it, man. It is it is now almost the 90th minute. I don't know. Weston McKinney had to have had at least – was that his third header off of a set piece that it, it finally went in? Yeah. It, it seemed like – yeah, it seemed like he had a bunch. And I guess you figured at some point, or maybe he figured – at some point, one of these has to go in. The other thing we learned is Weston McKinney can outjump everybody else that was on the pitch that day. He was. I, my tweet was he is a beast on set pieces. Uh, he was in that game. His first one, like I said, first one hit the post and set up a goal. Second one, Ochoa had to make a really good save on, and third one he scored on. So that's that's pretty good. And he he wasn't just a beast on set pieces. He was a beast everywhere that night, especially in the second half. He took over yeah he was phenomenal it was great to see him and that's why i like him in that deep lying role is that he's he's good at winning the ball but then he also is so smart about when to make those runs and come in as that late attacker and he's he also knows what space to take you know where is that space that i can go take and he's a smart player he's i love that he's young i love it i he also has the best facial expressions of almost anyone I can think of right now. Yeah. You could, you could make so many uh, gifs or memes of Weston McKinney's looks and I would be there for them all day. Yeah. Now there was a lot of anger because uh, you know, there was a player for Mexico Herrera who should have been sent off with a second yellow. Yeah. Uh, He got a yellow after clattering over a goalkeeper going in two studs into the goalkeeper's chest, and that's a yellow. And then he got nothing for putting a choke on Weston McKinney. He got nothing for that. And then later on, he had another two-footed studs-up challenge that it was just called a foul. I mean, it's like, dude, make make the decision. That is a certain yellow card in any other game. If it's just a regular game, that's going to be a second yellow card every time. But... It's a trophy game, so you don't want to make a decision that decides the game, and therefore you're making a decision that could decide the game. And we've made that point before. And when you go back and you watch that second studs-up challenge, it is so blatantly obvious. And there is there was no reason that he should not have been sent off at all. And I mm-hmm. think anybody... Even I think any Mexico supporter who was being honest would be like, yeah, we got lucky that he didn't get sent off there. Yeah, big uh, sigh of relief for the Mexican fans. And I, I, dude, I've seen this guy before. I've never seen him look more like Tim Roth than he did in this game. <laughs> and I expected him to just like kind of hulk out and go after the Incredible Hulk. Oh, uh, uh, abomination. Yeah, just to take this back to our our Marvel rewatch. Well, to, to be fair, his play was an abomination. 
that night. So it was. It, it, it worked. So, Dave, we go into extra time because that's the way these things work. You're having yes. it. You're well, having after seven, what was it? Seven minutes of stoppage. Yeah. That extra time. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was crazy. It was a lot. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was. It, and we didn't even talk about the fact that that Zach Steffen got hurt in the first half oh, of this right. game and had to come off for Ethan Horvath. Ethan Horvath had to come on as the emergency relief goalkeeper, uh, which is a difficult position to put anyone in. And, and it's, but it's an important point to bring up. Yeah. It's, it's going to, it's going to, yeah, it's going to come in and uh, come up again. The, the teams go to the extra period and it's just, it's two, two, the teams have been at each other's in each other's faces all night. It's been a very contentious game. It seemed like everything the U.S. did got yellow carded, and it just didn't seem like he wanted to book Mexican players. I don't know if I'm being a homer here, but did you see it that way? Yeah, yeah, it, it did seem that way. And to be fair, he could have had things thrown at him by the Mexican fans if he had done so. You know, <laughs> it may have just been self-preservation, as we saw. But yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, this game had a little bit of everything. It had uh, in the uh, in the extra time. It had um, like a couple video reviews, a couple penalties. Um, a, a U.S. player got hit with something coming out of the stands and got hurt. Um, it yeah, had the stop for step one of the anti, you know, the 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 homophobic right, chant. Right, the homophobic had. chant from the yeah from the Mexican fans. That was the first time they got a warning. Uh, in the in regulation time, they got a warning, and in stoppage t- or the extra time, they got a three minute stoppage of play uh, with a second warning. And I, I don't know what it is about that chant where they just like, oh, I don't care, I'm just going to do it anyway. I mean, your own team is on the field telling you stop doing it, so don't don't you think you should listen to them? One would think, but that would assume a level of responsibility that I don't think you can give to those particular supporters. Right. And I'm, and we're not impugning all Mexico fans, just the ones that are idiots and and continue that chant. So um, it's, it's gotta be tough. I I mean, I know, I I mean, I've been part of a fan base that have been doing things that I'm like sitting there just shaking my head going, what are you idiots doing? I mean, I, it's, and there's really not a whole lot you can do is except just tell people to just, calm the F down and stop doing it, but it rarely does, uh, does any good. Um, we also had a, an ejection of Tata Martino, uh, for touching the referee during a video review. That's something I've never seen. He didn't just touch him. He put his arm around yeah. him. Like they were buddies watching the VAR, you know, the video review, like, Hey, what do you see? In there? Who does that? Who Tata does Martino, that during a, during a, re- a referee is reviewing a play. And who does that? Who just walks up and puts their arm around it? <laughs> the referee. As a coach, that's just, it's really bizarre behavior to me. It's like, what what is the, what is he trying to say here or do? I guess maybe he thought the match wasn't conca enough and that he had to do something to make it more conca I don't know, man, but it was... It was because it was already really conca It was very conca at this point. I mean, yeah, there were there were several dust-ups. Guys could have been sent off. Um, there was a for, pitch for, invader. There was a pitch invader. There was a, a booth invader. 
My favorite part of the booth with Painter is if you go back and watch it and you watch Dempsey, he looks at the guy, he watches him jump over the railing, just with no expression on his face, turns back around and starts laughing and talking. Yeah. It's brilliant. Oh, man. So anyway, the the U.S. gets the first break late in the second half of stoppage with a penalty uh, shout as Pulisic gets into the box has his run cut off, goes down. I have to admit, when I saw it live, I said, that's that's a penalty. Why is he not calling that? He goes and looks at the review. I see the replay, and I'm like, okay, if he if he gives it, that's fantastic. If he doesn't give it, I could see him not being given, is what I, is what I was trying to get at. It's like, is it a clear and obvious situation? I, gun to my head, I think that's a penalty. But the... Yeah. You know, I wouldn't have argued too hard for it if this game had gone to to a penalty shootout about that not being called. Would you have? No, uh, I agree that real time. I thought it was a penalty, and I don't that. And that's kind of the point of the video review is there wasn't anything that that took that away. Uh-huh. It, it didn't make it even more obvious, but there wasn't anything to say. Well, no, it wasn't. So yeah, there, there was a lot of contact, and I didn't think that Polisic was you know taking a dive there i thought that he went down under physical contact and you can make the case that that the player played the ball first or whatever but i didn't you know just because you do get ball that doesn't always make it a clean clean tackle so i was okay either way is what i'm saying and he called it a penalty and polisic holy crap was he had ice in his veins because he smashed that into the upper 90 where no one could reach it and then in an awesome fashion, he took his shirt off, ran to the corner, and shushed the Mexican fans. That And that picture that was taken, and forgive me because I can't remember the guy, the photographer who did it. They've got it out on Twitter. They've got his name. He should get all the credit in the world for that that picture that he took with Pulisic, you know, giving them the shush. And, and Daryl DK in there with his tongue sticking out. It's an amazing picture, and I'm sure that it's uh, some people's background at this point yeah but, a lot of people yeah. probably yeah uh but an amazing moment which unfortunately then resulted in Gio Reyna getting knocked in the head by a coke can yeah uh, so as idiots threw stuff onto the pitch which you should never ever ever do no matter how angry you are for exactly. whatever reason do not take it out on the players that are on the pitch you're very unlikely to hit the ref who's usually the one you're mad at um so just don't do it. It's stupid. And it could hurt somebody, and it could get you banned for life. So don't do it. Um, but, yeah, he gets hit with debris coming out of the stands, and it, it looked like it took him a minute to gather his wits. I mean, it, they definitely looked like he was in some discomfort. He, he looked a lot better after the final whistle. <laughs> he was running yeah, around and he, smiling. He but still, <laughs> yeah, you know he still woke up the next day with a headache. Yeah. So it's 3-2 at this point, Dave, and it's the game's almost over. But, of course, it's CONCACAF. <laughs> CONCACAF. And the U.S. is going to always get con. They're, they're never not going to get CONCACAF. So this time, this is where I started to feel bad for Mark McKenzie because just a simple ball in, and McKenzie's he's just standing there. He's actually in the act of pulling his arm inward, and it wasn't really, like, far away from his body. It was kind of in a normal spot. He was kind of standing sideways to the guy who headed it, and he was about a foot away from the guy. And the guy heads it directly down into his arm. And 
Mexico, of course, shouts for the, the handball because they they want the the penalty, and they go to the they go to the review, and every single person that they asked, "Is that a penalty?" said, "No, that's not a penalty." So of course, it was a penalty. Well, yeah, because he had given one to the U.S., had to give one to Mexico. To reiterate <clears throat> what you were saying about McKenzie, he the rule, as I remember, it says that the handball you're trying to make yourself bigger. He was literally making himself smaller, not only in bringing his hand into his body, but also, as you said, being turned sideways. You cannot make yourself any smaller than that and still defend a person. So I really think that that should not have been called. And yet, CONCACAF, thus a penalty. Yeah, that's the one I that that's the one decision that I was like, okay, he got that one wrong. He went over, looked at it, and went. <sighs> You know, I've seen a lot of stuff come out of the stands, and if I don't give this penalty, I might yeah, not make it out of here alive. <laughs> yeah, I may not leave this stadium alive. So, you know, and that's, I think that's honestly a lot of how the conca-caffing happens to the United States, is that yeah. refs feel like they're not going to be safe if they don't give the other team this thing that they shouldn't have, uh, which is an awful, awful um uh, atmosphere to do your job in and and those federations need to do a better job of cleaning that stuff up but uh so their captain steps up to the uh to the spot and kicks it and ethan horvath says no ball don't lie no goal and uh everybody goes crazy yeah remember we told you that whole horvath thing was going to come back around well there it was the hometown hero from Colorado, from just down the road from the stadium with 20-odd members of his family and friends there to watch him come on when they weren't expecting him to come on in that backup role, steps up, not only made that save, but made a bunch of other saves mm-hmm. during the match to yeah. keep the U.S. in it. I mean, he played well. And then to come up huge on a PK, oh, my goodness, that – what a night for the young man, and what a night for the rest of us. I mean, you know, we're supporters, so I've never been more happy to have stayed up till one thirty in the morning watching soccer <laughs> that night. Yeah, you and me, we're American Outlaws members, so. Yes, we are. Proud. So, great game from Horvath, and, and, and you know, there was still game to be played at this point. Uh, uh, five, which... five minutes after the uh, – after the, uh, you know, after stoppage time began, they put up the board and it said five minutes. <laughs> and they played another, what, four minutes after that? Four to five yeah, minutes least, after that? And yeah, it was at least five, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was insane. And finally the whistle came and the U.S. had defeated Mexico. And it's just a significant accomplishment for this young team. The first trophy that they've won, um, Greg Berhalter did, I think, a good job with them. Uh, this wasn't the ideal lineup. He would have ideally liked to have had a healthy and game fit, 90-minute match fit Tyler Adams, who came in and actually played fullback. Um, he would have obviously have liked to have had Aaron Long. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, he didn't have some of those guys that he had. And, of course, Mexico was probably missing a couple guys too. But at the same time, you know, this is a young, unproven team that, that had been take you know, they've taken it on the chin from Mexico for the last several times that they played, and and since Tata had been coaching them for sure, uh, they had not 
had a very good record against them. So this is a significant win for this team. And uh, with a lot of things, I think, that went against them in the game, showed tremendous resiliency, and, you know, it was great to watch. And, and like you, I was, like, so amped up after the game that I couldn't I couldn't go to bed. I just, of course, you had the, you know, you have the trophy ceremony, you want to see that. And then, yeah. you know, they just keep talking in the, in, the, in the press box and doing player interviews on the field. And you're just like, I can't go to bed as long as there's, as long as there's coverage going on of this, if this keeps going till 6am, I'll just get a shower and then go to work. But, uh, <laughs> right. I'll wear, my, I'll wear my red, white, and blue tomorrow and, or, or that day. Cause it was already that day. Yeah. So yeah, we're both up late, but we're, we're tired. Uh, even two days later, we're tired, but happy. That's the perfect way to put it. I'm, I'm still amped up from that that match i really am i i can't tell you how many times i've gone back and watched either polistic's uh kick or horvath save or the guy jumping off the railing behind uh, dempsey I've, I've loved every bit of it yeah this team's not perfect and and i don't think that i don't think burhalter necessarily has all the pieces he wants to run the system the way he wants to run it but there's such talent here there is geo reyna's going to be fantastic. Weston McKenney, we've already talked about him. Obviously, Polisic, when he's healthy, he's amazing. Um, you know, they they definitely, I thought, struggled in the striker position in this game. I didn't think Josh Sargent was terrible, but there were a couple opportunities. There was one where he was trying to get turned on a, uh, a bouncing ball that was up in the air that if he just gets it on frame, it's a goal, but he couldn't he couldn't square up to it and get it on. Um the backups that came in uh, in the attack didn't do much of anything. Tim Weah didn't do really anything. Sabatu didn't do anything um, in this game. It was always going to be, can Pulisic get loose and and create something? And he did that when he got the penalty. Yeah, there's certain pieces, Pulisic, McKenney, um, even Zach Steffen. I mean, there, there are certain pieces that are at a very high level. But even the guys that you talked about that, maybe didn't contribute quite as much are young. They're still learning. And mm-hmm. yet we know their names and they are making contributions yeah. all across the world right now, everywhere from MLS to European teams. So the future is bright. I mean, Dempsey was right to put the shades on yeah. this. We've got the you know world cup qualifying coming up, but that's not the important one. It's the what? it's the next one. That's going to be absolutely that that could be it. That could be the moment. I hope they do well in the upcoming World Cup and and you know one make it, two get you know get through the group stage. Do something. Yeah. Do something. I, do something. But I'm really really excited for the for the next World Cup after that. So. How good was John Brooks in this game? How good was John Brooks John in this Brooks tournament? Great. <laughs> he was he was outstanding. Like you said, if uh, he could have had uh, Aaron Long back there, then it. It might have all gone a lot different and, and a lot better, but yeah, Brooks stepped up, and yeah, talk about another guy that gives good looks, uh, like <laughs> Kenny does. But uh, yeah, I loved having him back there. He was I if we if we had two John Brooks, we would give up a lot fewer shots and chances. That's for sure. Um, he was he was good right off the get go. He was physical. He was a leader. He was everything that the team needed him to be. He was he was strong and and vocal and he kind of he was important i mean obviously they don't score that goal against uh, honduras without him and yep. um and like i said he was he was certainly 
everything that the back line did well was essentially John Brooks doing it correct in, against Mexico. But I think so, the overall the grit, the determination, the tenacity that this young squad showed is what you have to be able to do in CONCACAF. Because as you mentioned, you're going to get CONCACAF all the time. And and this was in the U.S. Imagine if this was at Azteca. Yeah. Yeah. So this this was a great uh, baptism of fire for, for a lot of these young guys. And hopefully it hopefully it prompts something going forward. Yeah. All right, we have been rambling a long time about this game and about the Pride game. But you know what? That just brings us to this week's guest, and our guest is awesome. So why don't we get to that guest right after this? Joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, we're very happy to have with us Orlando City forward Tesho Akindele. Tesho, thanks for being with us. Very happy to be here. Love the fans, so I'm glad to you know get this opportunity to speak right to them. Well, we're we're excited to bring you on. We've had, uh, of course, some of your teammates, and and it's it's been it's been too long. We needed to get you on, so I'm glad you're here. And I wanted to ask you about your, um, really about, about the break because you were in a really good form coming in with, uh, you know three goals, couple assists, uh, and, you know, after, you know, that, that couple of games it took to kind of get going, but since then you've been on a roll and, uh, you know, did the, did the break come out at a bad time for you, I guess is my question. Uh, I get, I mean, I, mean, I had no choice, so I, I have to <laughs> just mentally think it came at a good time, you know, I just got to just deal with it as it comes. Obviously when you're a forward and you're, you're on a roll, you want to keep it going, but the break happened, and all I can do is use it to my advantage. You know, hopefully I can just make sure my body's 100% coming out and I'm fit and just ready to pick up right where I left off. Well, looking at the team as a whole, obviously the defense has been outstanding, uh, you know, getting helping get results. Um, you've got some goals, but uh, the offense is maybe not as prolific as uh, we or you or the club would like what's the plan for that? Uh, I mean, other than you obviously scoring some goals. Yeah, I guess for me personally, scoring goals, that's that's my plan, like you said. But uh, I guess overall, I think the first thing is just to be better at finishing our chances. I think we've done decent at creating chances, but we just need to uh, to do a little bit better job of finishing them, myself included. And then I think also maybe just kind of mixing up mixing up how we're creating chances, maybe sending some through balls, working on crosses, some interplay through the middle, just having like a diversity of attack to, so that we're not reliant on one thing or one person to, to just create everything for our team. But, you know, I have full faith in our group. We have so many good players, new players, old players. And, you know, I think coming out of the break, we should be able to, to bang some goals in. Tejo, I know you're not going to use this as an excuse. Oscar's not going to use it as an excuse. Not, nobody on the team is is using it as that. But how is it for you as a team when, you know, your first couple of games, you don't have Mauricio because of the suspension. You go, uh, you lose Pato in the first game. Then you don't have um, Nani for a couple of games of suspension. When you can't get that, that first choice team out there, how much does that affect you guys? You know, obviously, again, you're not using it as an excuse, but what, you know, what does that do and, and how does that mindset, um, you know, affect you? I mean, I think obviously you could look at the negative side of it, just missing 
a lot of good players, but I think there's a positive side to it too, is that it gives more people the chance to play. Like just starting from the back, we've had a lot of different players step in in different positions in the back up front with suspensions and injuries. We've had a lot of different players play. So possibly it could be an advantage for us down the road when we get deep into the season and people are tired, need some rotation. We have a lot of players who have started games and been in the big moments. So I think that's the best way to look at it is just the opportunities that having some guys out has given to other people. So the club finds itself in third place uh, heading into the break, you know, with the, the draws, uh, a couple wins, the three wins. Is that where you guys hoped that you would be? I mean, are we on the right track? Uh, wh- what do you see coming out of the break? I would say on the right track is a good way to put it. Like we've been right up there fighting for the top of the table for most of the year. Obviously our goal is supporter shields during the regular season and then MLS cup. But so I'd say we're right on track. You know, we're still in the hunt. We're, we're, we're not losing games. We're not getting scored on very often. So I think, I think that we're right on track right now. One of the things I asked you about after the New York game, Tesha was your, you know, the two layoffs that you had for Vanderwater, uh, the first one he scored on and the second one uh, he didn't, but um, you know, that was a part of your game. You said you'd been developing and that Oscar was, was working with you on, on making those decisions, you know, in the final, in the final movement, making the right decision, whether it's a shot or a pass, how far along would you say you are towards doing that? I want you to assess yourself and give yourself a grade on that. Uh, how about I give myself a, I'll give myself a B. I mean, I have two assists so far in the season could have been three, maybe. So that's not too bad to, to get going. I think I could still, I could still do better. Um, maybe create a little bit more chances for other people, but yeah, I think it's going well. And, uh, yeah, like I said, Oscar just really harping on us about what is the right decision in, in this situation and going over the film so we could really break down, talk about what we were thinking about in those situations has been helpful for me and, and for other guys too. Now, obviously, you guys have been playing very well both last year and, and now the, to start off this season. What are the things that you're still working on? And I don't mean you as in you. I mean you as in, in, in the club. Um what as a as a whole team, what are you guys focused on to get over that last little bit to, like you said, get supporter shield, get the MLS Cup? Uh, I th- I think one thing is just kind of closing games out, probably just the end of games, just to make sure that you know we don't need to bunker in and just hope for to hold on to a win or like we get scored on at the end to just keep pushing. Like if we're up one zero, that we push for the second one. You know, if we're tied, that we're pushing for the win. I think that's kind of crucial for for the best teams, you know, to always be kind of closing games out. One of the new faces on the club, Sylvester Vanderwater has, um, he's made a bit of a splash the last couple of games. You've seen him come in and, and you have a, a rapport with him, a good rapport with him. You know, what is he doing differently? Is he just getting to know the system better? Is he just getting to know it more comfortable with his teammates? What is it that he's doing that's enabling him to have success now? Uh, I mean, first of all, he's just, he's a good player, you know, you he could try to do this or that, but if you're not a good player, you can't get it done. And, and he's a good player. So that's the first thing. And then other than that, I think what he brings is a little bit of unpredictability, uh, just kind of in his movements. And, and when he has the ball, he's, he's an unpredictable player. 
you saw that on the goal against the Red Bulls. Like he, he was in a really tight spot in the box and was able to beat the defender, create a yard of space and finish. So obviously he's a good player first and foremost, but then other than that, he he's unpredictable. And I think it's helping him out in this league. Expanding on that, what do you think are the elements that are contributing to the good start, um, you know, everything from last year, but also the good start this season. What is, what are the factors behind that for the club? I think in MLS, honestly, the most important thing, at least one of the most important thing is just like the culture of your team. Um, because obviously their salary caps, like the league is supposed to be parity, but I think just like having a winning mentality, a winning culture, a group of guys who are, you know, get along and are fighting for the same thing is super important. And, for our team, we were really able to build that in the bubble last year. Like the bubble was just huge for our team, our mentality, our culture. And I think we, you know, we have a lot of the same players. So we were able to carry that on. And even the new guys coming in, they're able to feel that and just kind of get on board with, with the culture we've been able to build. For, like for me, you can think of a team like Seattle, you know, like year after year that that team does well. And it's not because they have more money than the other teams or better players or whatever. It's because they have a good culture and I think that that's what we're building here is a good culture. And that's kind of what leads to long-term success. Speaking of that culture, Tesho, I know you, um, one of the things that Oscar wants you guys to do is to continuously work hard. And one of the things that I think nobody can deny about your play this season is the effort that you've put in. You, you, we see it every week, you rushing the goalkeeper to force turnovers and that kind of thing, uh, getting back and helping on defense. Is that something that, I mean, we've seen this from you before, but is it something that you've, you've sort of like the lights come on a little bit more for you since Oscar's taken over? I, I know you were with him before, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how he may have changed as a coach over the years. Yeah, I think I would say I, I'm definitely more purposeful about it this year. I was just like, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna cause chaos. I'm going to press the other team as hard as I can for as long as I can, cause as many turnovers as possible. That's just been my mentality going into every game, and I think it's paid off. I think it's made the job easier for the people behind me, and, you know, even my teammates have, have told me they appreciated it. So it's definitely something I'm I'm actively thinking about and, you know, trying to bring to the game every single time. Obviously, Michael mentioned, you know, you pressing to create some turnovers, but you're you're also getting back on defense. And it seems that the club is doing a pretty good job of defending as an entire team and not just relying on a back line. Um, is that your impression? Uh, is that something that you guys are working on? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's definitely something we're working on and something that I think we've been doing well. And a lot of times I think that in the conversation of like having a good defense, the people that get overlooked are the defensive midfielders. So I want to give them specifically a shout out, like Sebas and Urso specifically, that those those guys win a lot of balls back and they kind of stop anything from getting to the defense in the first place. So, you know, I might try to track back and our our defenders do a good job when it gets to the box. But if you watch the game, the amount of balls that Sebas and Urso stop before it gets to a dangerous situation, it, it's unbelievable. So I think that the, the, that position is the, the least loved. You know, they don't always get the respect defensively and they don't score the goals offensively, but those guys are so important to the success we've had as a team. So I want to make sure to shout them out. Yeah, they've, they've done a great job as well. Uh, you know, I, I agree with that. Um, I wanted to ask you about this thing that fans always say, and I don't know if it's true. I've never played professional soccer, 
But a team that's been bad for a while or, or hasn't gotten results for a while starts to win and then ha- and has a good season. And, and then people say, well, nobody's going to overlook them the next year, right? That's something that people always say. They're, now they, they're not going to sneak up on anybody. People know that they're good and they're going to take them seriously. How much of that do you buy? Um, I think I buy it. I think I do. I think, um, if a team has been doing bad for a long time, it's, it's sometimes other teams will go into the game with just a a lighter mentality. But if you're a successful team, you're one of the bigger clubs that's been winning every game. The team is like, okay, we're coming in here to knock them off, especially at home. I think like when we play home games, people are coming in saying, okay, Orlando, everybody's talking about Orlando is looking good right now. We want to knock them off at home. So I do think it's real. Like, if you're winning games, people come, they come ready to play. So you think that people, that you, you, you've experienced this, that teams this year seem to be taking you guys more seriously? I think a little bit, yeah. I think so. Now, coming out of the, the break, you've got a pair of back-to-back matches uh, at Toronto and uh, San Jose at home. What are the what are the challenges coming out of a, a break like this? I mean, obviously you're getting some rest, but you know, surely you're losing some momentum. What what is it that that makes it a little bit more difficult? Uh, I think one of the most important things is just to maintain your fitness. Like if you're playing a game every week, it's easy to be in shape to play games. But if you're not playing games, you might lose a little bit of that fitness. But I'll have I'll have you guys know we're not we're not losing any fitness over here. We've been working hard over this break. They've been running us. They've been working <laughs> us hard in practice. <laughs> so I think that could be a worry for teams. But you know I think our coaching staff has done a, a really good job of of making sure to keep the the pedal to the metal and make sure our team is, doesn't really lose that fitness that momentum we have. Tesho, I know that um, when you we lost the winning streak or the unbeaten streak at the beginning of the season probably that's the worst time to have the break because, you know, now you have to wait a long time to get, to get back in the winning ways. Um, did you feel that? Do you, or do you feel urgency as we get closer and closer to the return of the league play? Yeah, you're right. Like it was a bummer to lose at that time. Um, but honestly, I, I, I don't feel like too much urgency because, you know, I, I think we're a good team and I think it's not, it's not good to like mentally go on a roller coaster of like, Oh my gosh, we lost a game. We need to win. Like, I think it's better to just kind of believe in yourself, stay stable, whether you're winning or losing games, like you just play your game, you believe in yourself and the results will come. So it was very unfortunate to lose that game. But, you know, I think that our mentality is the same, whether we have won, won it or lost it, we're going to come, we're going to work hard and get ready for the next game. Now fans and supporters of course have, certain clubs that they despise that are the rivals you know we we talk about plenty of them on here i'm wondering if you guys have any teams in particular that you get more up for is there any you know teams in the eastern conference that are really kind of get under your guys skin uh i think you know the fans kind of give us that momentum so obviously atlanta is is a team that we really want to be and i'd say miami as well because we want to be the Kings of Florida. So those two teams, I think we, we hear what the fans say, we feel their passion for those games and it, it kind of leads through to the team. Well, Florida is purple. That's, uh, that's just a scientific fact. So this is um... a fact. Yeah, it's a fact. <laughs> Tesho, before we, before we let you go, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about, um, 
you know, the club bringing in in Pato this year and, and Daryl potentially returning uh, from, you know, his loan and then international duty. And, and how do you stay mentally focused and, and not worry about playing time in terms of, of Pato being ready to go or, or Daryl coming back and, and just go about your business? How, how do you how do you, I guess, focus in on a daily basis on what you need to do? Uh, I think something that I learned as a young player that's been really helpful for me is you're not necessarily competing with with the other people on your team, like the other forwards on your team, for example, because as we all know, like things change. Daryl went on loan, Pato got injured. It gave me playing time. People move teams, all stuff happens. So all, you're not really competing with, it might seem at the time like, oh, I'm competing with Pato or Daryl or Mati or, or whoever, but you're not really like, you're just competing with yourself. So all I can do is play my best, you know, like imagine I'm playing my best and they go in and they bring in Holland next year. I'm going to be on the bench, you know, but that doesn't mean I'm doing a bad job. So all I can do is focus on playing my best. And, and I know that then the best things will happen for me. You know, if I'm, if I'm too worried about competing with somebody else or playing time, it's just going to mess up my game. So I was able to learn that as a, a little bit of a younger player and it's really been helpful for me. Well, I think the most exciting thing you just said is that the Wilfs are definitely bringing in Erling Holland for next year. Yeah, he's coming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's on his way. I have insider information. <laughs> oh, man. And our listeners are like, they're going to take that and run with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're going to think I slipped up or something. <laughs> Tesho Akindele, uh Canadian International and Orlando City Forward. Thank you so much. It's been great having you, and we hope to have you on again. And good luck the rest of the season. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a great time. All right, we are back, and thanks again to Tesho Akindeli. It was great talking to him, and uh, thanks to Rob Hildreth from uh, Orlando City Communications for setting up that interview and uh, facilitating that. Uh, it's always great to talk to Tesho. Yeah, fantastic interview, fantastic guy. Uh, obviously, is well obvious to you and I, he's made some strides this year and he is putting in all the effort. So I've got no complaints with him so far this season. Plus, Hey, he scored some goals. And I can't believe we're getting Erling Holland. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Talk about some big news there. Uh, you heard it here first. From yeah. Tesho Akindeli. Tesho Akindeli <laughs> says Holland is coming. Um, <laughs> I knew the Wilfs would pay off when they took over this that's, team. That's right. <laughs> Gonna outbid well, Chelsea. This is it. awesome. <laughs> I didn't know it would be this soon or this big, but uh, yeah. I'll take it. All right, Dave. We don't have that much to get to here in this last segment. We have uh, uh, no games this weekend, of course, for Orlando City or the Orlando Pride, as uh, both teams are off for international duty or, or international break, I should say. The U.S. Men will play Costa Rica tonight, as this drops on the ninth. Uh, the reason that's significant to Orlando City fans is that we think Daryl DK is going to start this game. Yeah, we've been waiting for that. So yeah, we think he's going to start, but he certainly should feature even if he doesn't start. So um, we have that to look forward to. Uh, the friendly against Costa Rica. Uh, we have the U.S. women beginning their uh, summer series here against Portugal on the 10th. That's 8.30 p.m. They will then play... Uh, a few days later on Sunday night against Jamaica. That's going to be another late night for me, Dave, because that's a 10 o'clock start time. That's a late night for me, too, because yeah. that's my Lynx night. Uh, so Alex Morgan 
probably plays for the U.S., I'm guessing at least in one of those two games, and uh, Kanye Plummer for Jamaica. Oh, yes. That's Orlando right. Pride. Uh, and then the final game of that uh, will be the U.S. against Nigeria on Wednesday the 16th, so we'll talk about that next week. We'll, we'll preview yes. that next week just by saying uh, we're not going to like get in depth. We're just going to say, hey, don't forget this game is happening. <laughs> we, we will maybe look back at the Portugal and Jamaica games. Indeed. Uh, so then the uh, you know the next Orlando City game is the 19th against Toronto on the road all the way at their own building, as it <laughs> appears at, at this point, on the 19th. And the Pride will be back on the 20th at home at 6 o'clock against Gotham. And so, you know, next week we'll probably, uh, maybe we'll have our, our, our buddy Mitchell Tierney back on and see what's different from Toronto from the last time uh, these teams played, which probably not much since it was just two games ago. Probably not, uh, but if... Uh, maybe a Josie update? <laughs> maybe, maybe. But, yeah. you know, make sure, look, if you're going to travel for an away match this season, that's a good one to do, because to do, uh, I think it's probably not as far as you think it is. Yeah, I, although I don't know if they're going to actually allow fans in because I'm not sure if they've been allowing fans for the Canadian team's so-called home games. I'm, I, I don't know uh, that okay. they've been doing that. So if they do, you know, great. But I don't. since this is their home game, I don't know that that'll be the case. I, I, things are weird. <laughs> they, yeah, you can say that again. Things are weird. We haven't, we haven't quite gotten through the pandemic yet, Dave. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen something on the news about it. Yeah. yeah, okay. So a couple games coming up for the U.S. teams, and uh, then next week we'll be previewing uh, more club games for Orlando City and the Orlando Pride. Dave, that'll allow us now to turn our attention toward our mailbag from this week. And, of course, there are two ways that people can ask us literally anything, literally any question you want to ask us, you can do that in two ways. One way is to... I should say you don't have to do it. You can only do one or the other. You don't have to do both. But if you do both, I'm not going to get mad about it. Um, One thing you can do is to email us at themainland at gmail.com. And the other way is to hit us up on Twitter at themainland is our Twitter account. And use the hashtag AskTMLPC and ask your question. We will answer it on the air. Dave, we got no questions in the mailbox. Do we have stuff on the Twitters this week? We got one on the Twitter. So one on the least... Twitter. One one email. Uh, 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 or tweet, I guess it is. Sorry, I was, I was so busy well, trying to be the count. It would be one. <laughs> no, he, I think he still goes ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. I think he does three ahs no. no matter how many he counts to. Because he does no. like six, six, and he doesn't do six ahs. He doesn't go ah, 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 ah. No, I don't think so. I think you're wrong. All right, we're going to look into this, and we'll let you know next week. <laughs> I'm, 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 Anywho, I've, already, I've already forgotten about it. <laughs> Anywho, uh, friend of the pod, Ryan Smith, says uh, or asked, we saw the lineup announcement. Some had our doubts. Did you? What would, what would have been your starting lineup in formation if you were Greg heading into the final? Thankfully, his worked. Okay, so this obviously is about the U.S. men's national team. Yes. Uh, unless there's another Greg doing something somewhere. No, not in soccer that we're aware having of. Having a lineup or whatever. By the way, it's two Gregs at the end of G for Greg Berhalter. It is. Um, but uh, I, I was able to suss out that he meant Greg Berhalter because I'm just that intuitive. 
Yes, you're quite uh, you're you're quite the. Uh, I can't even think of anything. I'm too tired. Go ahead. Yeah. So my thought when was we talked a little bit about it during our, our breakdown of the game. I, I, obviously, I didn't have a problem with the strategy with the five at the back because I I like trying to give protection to Dest, giving him some freedom to go forward. Again, I don't think it worked as well in practice as it was in theory because I think he stayed too high too often and 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 left Tim Ream out on an island. Um, I also didn't really care for uh, the inclusion of Kellen Acosta, but given the fact that Tyler Adams wasn't 90 minute match fit again, I understood it's like, it's like, I think what he was doing was making the best of a bad situation. And I didn't really think that um, Sebastian Legette played very well against Honduras. So he was the one that came out uh, when you, they switched to that formation. So, I was mostly okay with it. Um, granted, Josh Sargent hasn't played well lately, and Sabachu had, had uh, just scored his first goal, so maybe you go with the the guy who's feeling confident. But um, I think Greg went with the guy he trusted in that spot. And and I again, I like having Weston McKinney coming from deep. I liked the fullback choice of being um, DeAndre Yedlin instead of Reggie Cannon. I don't think Reggie's quite ready. Um, and then Dest on the left. So, I, I mean, yeah, I, I thought the, the lineup and the strategy was fine. And like like Ryan said, it worked. Yeah, the only thing I'll add is I, what I might have done would have been to make the switch in formation a little bit sooner, uh, even if it was keeping the same personnel and just, you know, grabbing Dest by the arm and saying, okay, you, know, <laughs> you don't have as much freedom now. You need to stay back and defend more. Uh, something like that. That would be the only thing that I can think of that I would have really done differently than what Burhalter did. And he's Burhalter is getting tons of grief online because of that. But once again, like you said, if you take a look at who is available, who is fit, and who he trusts, uh, even if you don't agree with him, you can understand his motivations behind the decisions that he made. Yeah, there's a lot of grief online about Greg Berhalter in general. How many games has Greg Berhalter lost as U.S. men's national team coach? Uh, I don't know. Is it one? It's not many. <laughs> I mean, I, don't, I mean, I don't honestly know. I don't either. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of games of significance. Uh, you know, that night was one of the first of real significance. So. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that he's given us too many reasons to be as negative as people have been. People are still bitter over the whole hiring part. I, I I've honestly forgotten who they wanted instead. At this, point. I don't remember who they wanted instead. I just remember that they they didn't like the fact that Berhalter's brother was involved in the process and that they are crying nepotism and all kinds of. Well, they wanted Tata. But Martino didn't, you know, answer the phone calls, so I don't know why they thought that they were going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's just like we would like Erling Holland uh, with the Orlando City. Do you think we're going to well, get Erling Holland? Well, according to our guests, we are. But I guess yeah. we'll have to see. If well, we have happens. to actually, actually, it's it's more than just paying him more than Chelsea will pay him. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's not just it's not just can we outbid Chelsea? It's it's is he willing to come here and play in this league when this league is obviously not considered the best league in the, in the world. And Oh, by the way, he's not going to be playing in the, uh, 
Europa cha- uh, UEFA Champions League. Yeah, not to mention the humidity. It'll be quite uh, quite significantly higher here. You think Scandinavian people are bothered by the weather in Orlando? Have you met Robin Janssen? I I well personally have I met him? No, but we talked to him. <laughs> uh, you know, I, yeah, but he's the beefy Swede. I mean, you can't expect everybody to to be as tough as he him he is. Although Holland would probably be. Yeah, yeah, he'd probably be all right. But yeah, it's. I mean, Jesse Marsh, maybe. I mean, I don't know who else you you go after in this case, but um, you know, he has he's done a decent job, I think, so far. And again, he's. It takes a while to do what he needed to do, which is to turn around not just results but a program to turn around. Tesho Akindeli called it a culture. You have to change the culture, and that culture yeah. had been eroding for quite some time. And some of that was some of these jaded older players that had continued to um, be selected time after time after time. And and now we see that there's this young group that's over in Europe winning titles with their club teams and getting used to winning and getting used to being part of you know winning trophies. And so when they come and play for the U.S., it doesn't feel like it's that big a deal. It doesn't feel like there's any more pressure. They've already played in, you know... Uh, Champions League finals and and uh, you know you know Copa del Rey's and all these other competitions and they've played against the best of the best, so you know I I think that from that perspective he's done a great job with team selection he's done a great job of changing the culture he doesn't quite have all the pieces that fit where he wants them to fit yet but once those once those people are identified and and if they can stay healthy. Um, then it's just a matter of getting those guys game time together and and getting them, you know, chemistry. Yeah, it takes time. And look, Klinsman was given time. And it's not like Bruce Arena wasn't given some time. Trinidad and Tobago killed Bruce Arena as far as coaching goes. If he had made it, we might have still had him. Yeah. But look at just look at how far the program has come since that fateful day. And like it or not, Burhalter is a part of it. I'm not necessarily defending him, okay, but I'm not going to condemn him yet either. I'm waiting and seeing what happens. Yeah. I mean I think you should because it's it's a process and I don't think things are gotten have gotten worse under him. I mean, so I'm not sure when exactly he took uh, over. I know that this the U.S. men didn't lose in 2020. They drew against Wales, and I think they won three games. I think because of the pandemic, I think they had some other games canceled. Um, and this year, this calendar year, what they they lost at Switzerland to a top 15 team in the world on the road by one goal. Yep. So, uh, and they had opportunities to score in that game. Uh, Gio Reyna missed a a goal. He should have scored. There were a couple other goals or chances to to score goals where guys missed, missed the net from really good spots. So, you know, they were in a position where they could have taken something from that game. So, I mean, they're not, they're not far off. They're better than they were. They're better. certainly better than they were in the last, uh, um, 
World Cup qualifying cycle, and I think that you got to give him, you got to give him some opportunity. Berhalter is a guy who won. Obviously, MLS Cup isn't the same as the World Cup, but he won MLS Cup with a Columbus team that wasn't the most talented in the league. What we're saying is, give it some time, yeah. give him a chance. Look, if they fail to qualify, we'll get on here. We'll probably be on the Burhalter out train, but that's you know that hasn't happened yet. So mm-hmm. just a little patience. That's all we're asking. By the way, did I see that Trinidad and Tobago has already been uh, eliminated? You have, and I won't lie. I had a bit of a snicker over that one. <laughs> yeah. So that hurdle, we don't have to clear. <laughs> nope. That one's already off the table. Yeah. All right. Uh, do we have any other questions? I hope that answers your question, Ryan. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry we didn't talk about it very long. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, fortunately, evidently, uh, or evidently it's fortunate that that was indeed the only question. Otherwise, we'd be here all night. All right. Well, you know what? We're tired. Let's get out of here. Uh, of course, if you want to send us an email next week or, or hit us up on Twitter and ask us anything, that'd be great. Once again, themainland at gmail.com for email and at the mainland on Twitter with the hashtag AskTMLPC. We did not get any new uh, ratings or reviews on iTunes this week. If you'd like to help us out and not spend a single dime of any money to do it, uh, just pull up iTunes and uh, give us a five-star rating or whatever rating you think we deserve. Write us a review, and if it's a five-star, we will read it on the air. Uh, You can check out Dave's Twitter at MainlandDave. I'm at MainlandMichael, and we've already mentioned at the mainland is the site's uh, Twitter, uh, like us on Facebook, post everything there. And, uh, obviously you can go to the mainland.com and read all of our stuff. So those are all the ways you can interact and none of them cost you a single penny. Isn't that great? That is great. So I mean, generous. How many, how many things in life do you get to do that don't cost anything? Not watch soccer. That costs money. <laughs> Yes, indeed. In fact, it's going to cost me a little more money because before that next uh, game on Fox uh, 35+, Plus, I have to go get a, uh, a TV antenna, a local TV antenna, because I have cut the cord, Dave. Congratulations, and welcome to the nightmare that is mine. Although, yeah. <laughs> in some ways, it's easier because I'm not in the Orlando area, so certain things just come up on streaming platforms that I can watch. So it's, yeah. it's kind of nice. I've already dealt with it once with the U.S. game because I, I streamed that game and people on Twitter were going goal. And I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> you like, they were spoiling yeah, the goal. Yeah, you have to be careful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you I, do I, have to be careful when streaming. I learned a hard lesson there. Um, yeah. I was like, what, wait, what do you mean Mexico goal? What are you talking about, Mexico goal? There it is. Oh, well, I guess they were right. I guess they predicted the future. Yeah, that's how it works. <laughs> All right, we're out of here. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, thanks again to Tesho Akindele for coming on with us. Thanks again to Rob Hildreth for making that happen. And thanks to all of you for listening. We appreciate that, of course, every week. We will come back next week. We'll have actual Orlando City and Pride games to preview. Uh, we'll see if we can find us another guest. It'll be our 250th show. That's pretty exciting. That's very exciting. Yeah. So we'll put a bow on episode 249 the way we always do by saying, Go City, Go Pride, Go U.S. National Teams. <laughs>